You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. So in the movie Stranger Than Fiction, there's a guy named Harold Crick who finds out that his life is being narrated. So everything he does, he starts to hear the narration to the things that he is doing. And shortly after this clip, there's a moment where the narrator says, little did he know this would lead to the death of Harold Crick. And so you can imagine Harold Crick's response and his uh, amazement and frustration with what is happening there. But I love this movie because in it, he finds out that he's part of a story. There's a bigger story going on and Harold Crick is a character in it. And I think there's a great analogy to that with the Christian life. As Christians, we are part of a greater story. It's the story told in the Bible. It is the story God has written for us. And so we are all part of a greater story. And so as we've been going through our series of basics, we've been looking at the makeup of Discovery Church, the things that we hold as like core values, things that we think are pivotal to the makeup of our being and and a huge part of the Christian life. Many of these things are things we do every Sunday. So every Sunday we participate with, with scripture. Every Sunday we have communion. We've highlighted things like baptism. And this week we wrap up our basic series talking about what is the mission statement of Discovery Church which is that we exist so that people can find Jesus and their place in his story. So this all comes from this belief that God has written a story and you are a part of it. It's not some abstract tale. It's not something like has nothing to do with this that we just study and like hear about, but it is a story God has written that we are characters in. And so I want to talk about that story this morning. It is the story of history, but it's also the story of reality that we live in. And in our youth group, we've kind of adopted a language to help us go through this story and how we fit into God's story. And we call that the eternity story. And so you might see sometimes our kids, you might see them walking around with these bracelets. It's an idea that helps us talk about the story that we're in to other people, but also understand our part in it. So I want to share some of that with you this morning. Um, So we like to use this infinity symbol to begin with our story. The idea that this is our story, how we get to eternity, how we get a relationship with Jesus. And so it's a story that is long before us, but if we have this relationship with Jesus, it's a story that continues forever. So we use that infinity symbol to sort of uh, recognize that idea. And it all starts with the book of Genesis. Oh, maybe I went backwards. There we go. It all starts in the book of Genesis. We had Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and they eat the fruit the fruit that was forbidden to them, right? And so that is that first instance, rebellion enters the story. Humans rebel against their creator, God, and so they eat of the fruit. And so we use the symbol fruit to remind us of that sin, of that rebellion, and then we know that, again, this isn't just about Adam and Eve, this is our story. And Romans 5, 12 reminds us because of that fruit, because of that moment of rebellion, that all of us have turned on God. So Romans 5, 12 says, therefore, sin came into the world through one man, that was Adam, death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So the Garden of Eden is not just an abstract tale, it is a tale about us. And it is hopefully something that you can, you can relate to, right? Because I think we've all had moments of rebellion against God. We all have instances in our lives where we know there are things that God has set up for us not to do, that God doesn't want us to participate with, and yet we grab that fruit, right? 
All have sinned, and then death enters the picture because of that sin. And so we use this image of a coffin to remind us that because of our sin, we deserve death. And so we see with this, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So we have the fruit, we have the coffin. And so with every event in the Bible, there's a moment of our kind of participation with that, but also our response. Because Adam and Eve sinned, because I have my personal rebellion, my response is that I admit that I'm a broken person. I admit that I have turned on God. I admit that I have my mess, my sin, that I'm not perfect. And so that's sort of the conflict of the story as we unpack the story of Scripture, as we unpack our stories. There's a conflict that we have rebelled against our Creator, and because of that rebellion, we deserve death. Not just the death where our hearts stop beating and we stop breathing, but the eternal death the Bible talks about in hell, a place that Jesus described as, as fire and torture, lasting for eternity, separated from God. That's our conflict. But God was not okay with that. He wasn't cool with us staying separated from him. And so because he loves us so much, so God sent his son Jesus to be with us. And so we're reminded at Christmas of that star, right, that declared the birth of Jesus. And so God sent his son Jesus to us. The true light, which gives light to everyone, came into the world. So we're reminded of that. But, but know that this isn't just something, again, abstract that happened like long, long ago. This was a gift for us. We are in that story. And the reason Jesus came to our world is because God loved us so much. And Jesus reminded us that he is the only way to get to God. The only way that we can conquer the separation from God is that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can get to the Father except through Jesus. So our response, which the heart reminds us of this also, is that, man, then we believe that Jesus is the only solution to our sin. We believe that the only way we can get to God, that we can conquer our rebellion, is through belief in Jesus as the Son of God. And so we're reminded of these things, and, and so we get through this kind of picture that God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus, so our response is that we believe in Jesus. But then it didn't just end there, right? Like, you could maybe say that's maybe if every story has like a climax and, and a conflict and all that stuff, you could maybe say that Jesus entering our world is the climax of that story, right? God who created everything enters into his creation to be with us, with you and I. And so we see all this and then Jesus lived on earth. He lived a perfect life, but then he died on the cross, and so we now we get to that image of the cross, which, of course, reminds us of Jesus' perfect sacrifice on our behalf, which 2 Corinthians talks about, us, talks about it. It says, for our sake, he made him, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we, again, it's our story, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Through Jesus' sacrifice, that separation between humanity and God, and the separation between me and my creator because of my rebellion, that separation is conquered. He bridges that gap through the sacrifice of Jesus. And so our response to that event is confession, right? So now we've got this idea of baptism. So we use that symbol of the water to remind us of baptism, something that Brad Deal demonstrated last week. He decided that he needed to make that, to show that. He, he'd made that decision, but he wanted to show that confession, 
So if you're tracking with me, our response is just follow the basic ABCs of salvation, right? Which if you've been to Bible school, you've heard that. And I, I just have to say, like, I, I went to Bible school. I went to, like, Bible college. I got degrees in ministry. I went through seminary. And I've never felt or seen it described better than it was to me in Bible school of how to have that relationship with Jesus, which is A, admit that we're sinners, B, believe that he is the son of God and the solution for our sins, the only solution, and C, to confess that he is Lord of our life. And so that's where baptism comes in. It is that public confession. But there's more parts to that, right? There's more than just being baptized. But we hear about this confession in second, or in Romans 10, 9. And we respond through confession because if we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so that's where we are as we track through this idea of the eternity story. I missed it. There we go. Did I? There we go. The water. I might have gotten off. You guys are with me. And, and so if you see, like we're still tracking this, but this right here is, is an incomplete story, Right? But I'm afraid that that's where many of us have gotten. Some of you this morning, maybe you really need to just take time and ask yourself that question, like, have I participated with God's story in this way? Have I really come to the recognition that I've rebelled against God and because of that, my eternity is separated from God? And so maybe you just need that moment of, of the first, like admitting that you need God, admitting that you're sinful, that you have sin that needs to be forgiven. Or maybe you're struggling with that second part of just believing that Jesus is the solution to your sin. Maybe you're trying to be the own, your own solution to your sin. Or maybe you just struggle like to believe that, that your sins could be forgiven or that God even is real. So maybe you're at that step in the story. Or maybe you're at the third part where you're, you're working on that idea of confession. What does it look like in my life to talk about Jesus? What does it look like for him to be Lord of my life, to be king, to be my number one thing? What does that look like? Many of you may still need to work through those places, but I have a feeling most of us who have come this morning have kind of been through those steps, right? Most of us would consider ourselves followers of Jesus, would say that we have, you know, completed the A, B, and the C of salvation. But that's an incomplete story. And so in the youth group, we always add a D to it, whereas many people are like, admit, believe, confess, done. We think that there's more to this story, that beyond our salvation, we begin doing work which we'll talk about just a little bit later, but I thought about this idea, a way to kind of compare that. I, I, I have something to confess, all right? And I'm gonna share something with you that I just want you to promise that you're not gonna make fun of me for later, okay? Can we, we make that promise to me? Some of you are like, no way. I will always make fun of you, this, whatever. I, uh, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to, I'm a book nerd these days, all right? So I didn't like reading. It, did, it would have been great if I'd loved reading back when I was actually in school. I didn't like reading until after college. But after college, I got into reading books, which is not cool. I know, it's a nerdy thing. And, and here, just to take my nerddom a little deeper, I have become a Charles Dickens fanboy, which I know, right? Like the guy lived forever ago. Like nobody's reading his books right now. It's not the cool thing to talk about. But somehow I fell into really liking Charles Dickens. I really liked the story of A Christmas Carol. Like I'd seen the movie forever. You guys have heard me talk about this at Christmas. Finally, I was like, maybe I should read the book. And then I read it and I loved it. And my wife, who was an English teacher, she's like, you know what? Like she played English teacher on me. She's like, if you like that one, maybe you should try reading some more of Charles Dickens. She's like, have you heard of A Tale of Two Cities? And I'm like, 
No, I'd love to hear about this. I've read A Tale of Two Cities. I loved it. So I just started devouring books by Charles Dickens. I like to get on eBay and find like really old ones for $5, but they're like from 1907 and they'll have like other people's names in them. Just the nerdy things that I do. But so I'd read some several Dickens novels. I finally read Oliver Twist, which you might be familiar with. And then I picked up another one called The Old Curiosity Shop which I thought, that sounds ex exciting, right? Like, curiosity shop. Like, who knows what, like, it's like a magic shop. Like, I'm very curious. So I started reading this, and there's a character in this book called Little Nell. And the further I got in it, having just read Oliver Twist, I'm like, man, Little Nell is just the same as Oliver Twist. Like, it's Oliver in that book. Like, she's this perfect little, like, poor kid, and just, you know, she never does anything wrong. And I'm reading it and reading it, I'm like, this is not Curiosity Shop at all. Like, I got tired of Little Nell and how perfect she was. I was just waiting for her to be like, please, sir, can we have more? And I'm like, I already read that. So I quit reading the old Curiosity Shop, and I picked up some other books. And then just recently, in fact, this weekend, I was reading about, again, just the depth of my nerddom, I started reading David Copperfield. So I was reading kind of an intro about that book, and they talked about the character in Old Curiosity Shop, Little Nell. And I realized, like, and then and they just, they, I won't spoil it for you, but they totally spoiled Little Nell for me. Like, they just told me the big twist in that novel, which I didn't see coming. I was totally wrong about the old Curiosity Shop and what happens in here, but I will never know, or I might know, but I quit reading it. So I didn't find out. It's a, it's a book half finished for me. And so I didn't know what actually happened with the character. I just decided, like, redundant. I'm not reading this. And I found out, too, that Little Nell is a character that was very near and dear to Charles Dickens's heart. In fact, he based her off of someone in his life that he loved dearly who died in his arms. It's a very precious, like, character to Charles Dickens. And as I was reading that, so I'm just thinking about it, I was like, well, what if, like, one day, and I know this is impossible, but I'm like, what if I met Charles Dickens, right? Like, I'm walking down the road, and he, like, opens a window in the street above me. He's like, you there, boy in the streets. And I'm like, yes, governor? Like, this is how in my brain it was working out. And he's like, did you like my little Nell book, The Curiosity Shop? And I'd have to be like, uh, well, uh. And then just thinking about what that conversation would be like with the author of that book. Like, you know, I thought it was redundant. And, and to be honest, like, I didn't even finish it. And then to know that that was a character very precious to him. Like, Charles Dickens would probably be offended by me, right? Because I only finished half of the story. You can see where I'm going with this analogy, right? Like, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, many of us have only finished part of the story. We've done what we think we need to do to, to be cool with Jesus, right? Like, we've, we have a relationship with him. Like, we've done the baptism, the salvation thing, but we just kind of let it stop there. We've admitted, we believe, we confess, and we're done. But the Bible continues on with this idea of salvation, that it doesn't just stop once we are saved, once our sins are forgiven, that a process continues. So in the youth group, we talk about this process by using, again, the D, which is do work. So we've got our hammer there to remind us to do work. And so here's what we are told in this idea in 1 John 4:19. It says that we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. So now we see this story is complete in our, in, in our idea of eternity. That it doesn't end with just us loving God and God loving us. Like, sure, and, and we put the heart in the middle of that symbol because the whole story relies on love. But it doesn't end right there. It continues with us doing work. Many of us have just read an incomplete story. 
We've allowed ourselves to just live in part of the story because we've taken care of our salvation, but we haven't begun to allow God to use us. We haven't begun to love others the way we're called to love. We haven't begun to let our lives be transformed into the life of Jesus, to let God walk through us and be with us. We haven't found our place in his story. We're aware of the story. We think we know what God is up to, but we are not participating in that story. But there's so much more for us. We are missing out on so much if we just end it at our salvation and don't continue on to find our place, our purpose in this world. And so with this, I, I want to kind of ask the question, which this is just a tough question that I won't be able to answer for you. There, there's no way for me to be able to say like, okay, so you specifically, here is your place. Like this is what God wants to do through you. Like you have these gifts, these talents. I can't tell you exactly what your story will be or how God wants to use you. There's no like personality tests or like career placement tests. Did you guys ever have to do the career placement tests like back in the day? I remember I did one in eighth grade and I'm not making this up in eighth grade. And I was a little bit stressed about it because they're like, this is going to determine like, you know, your career cluster, like what your, what field you'll be in and then maybe what college you go to. And then after college, what you're going to do and what you'll do for your whole life and then retire off of. And I'm like, I'm in eighth grade. And so we're taking this test to try and tell us like, what will we be? What will, what will we do? And I kid you not, I'm not making this up. I wish I'd saved the test because it was ridiculous. My results came back. And, and we're going through the class and people are like, oh, I knew I'd be a doctor. And I'm like, oh, good for you. And then another person's like, teacher, that is perfect for me. It gets to me. My career placement test results, top two. Number one was a concrete sculptor. I don't know what that is. I still don't know, like, is that the person that does the sidewalks or is it like statues out of concrete? I don't know. Number two, and I swear I'm not making this up, was fashion model. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't have to submit any pictures. Like, I don't know if they just read this. They're like, you about have the capacity. If somebody could walk down a runway, that's it. That's what my career placement test said. So I became a youth pastor and said, which has worked out okay for me. But there's no personality test that we can take to say, like, here's exactly what God wants me to do in life. Here's how God wants to use me. But there's some generalities that we can pick up on from Scripture. There's, there's kind of two major parts that I know God wants to do in you, and we know this because of what this story, the Bible, tells us. And the first is that there is internal work to be done. So after we have this relationship with Jesus, part of the work that we do is on the inside. And 2 Corinthians breaks this down in, in 3.18. It says, and we all who with unveiled faces, this is a callback to Moses, where Moses is up on the mountain with God, his face is shining, and they're like, put a cloth over that face, like we don't want to see it, you're scaring us. He's saying, we all who with unveiled faces complete the Lord's, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So right there we're told that part of the work we are to do is being transformed into his image is to become more like Christ. We see this even further in 1 John 2, verses 4 through 6. It says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. If you say, I know God, but you don't do the things God's says, you're a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
So if you've ever had that question of like, man, am I saved? Like, has Jesus really forgiven my sins? Like, is my eternity with him secure? Right here is your answer. He says, by this we may know that we are in him, that we walk in the same way that he walked. So part of the work is internal. We're being transformed into that likeness of Jesus, which is a long process, and it may never completely happen on this earth, but we work towards it. We work towards it by using the tools God has given us, his word, his story, praying with him, spending time with him, spending time with other believers. But then beyond that, as we begin to look more like Jesus, we begin doing the things Jesus talked about. We begin obeying his commands. And one of those commands is, of course, love. And so he says, man, if if you don't love your brother, then how can the love of God be in you? So I don't know what the details of your story are, but I know part of your story is that internal work that we all have to do. But that's not the only thing. There's also the external work to be done, which if you've been, again, in Bible school or around church, you've heard what some of our external work is. It's the Great Commission, right? We hear it, Jesus, after he has died and then rose again from the dead, he's telling his disciples as he's about to leave them for the last time. In Matthew 28, 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples. What you were to me, go and make more of those. Find more people that will follow Jesus. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the other half of our job, there's the internal work we must do, but it doesn't end there. Now there's the external work of telling other people about this God whose story we have discovered, about Jesus who we found, man, he has a a place for me and his plan, how he's provided a way for me to, to have a solution for my own rebellion, for me to become complete where I was incomplete, for me to have light where I once had darkness. Our job becomes telling other people that. And often I think we read verses like the Great Commission and we sort of just dismiss them because we think, well, that's for other people, right? Like that's for the missionaries and that's for the pastors and I'm not one of those, so Jesus doesn't want me to do that. That's not quite true because not just this verse, but many other verses in the New Testament talk about all of us as followers of Jesus should be talking about Jesus and going to those around us and sharing about Jesus with them. In fact, if we really got nitty-gritty about the language of the Greek, some people think there could be a better translation for that very first phrase in the Great Commission. Instead of saying, go, therefore, they say, like, the way that the Greek works out, it's a passive participle, all this weird language stuff, but another translation might be, as you go. So instead of just go, like, from where you are now, go over there, share Jesus there, there's this idea of wherever you go, or as you are going, tell people about Jesus. As you're at the job you already have, share with people there about Jesus. As you're on your way to the bus line or the carpool line or whatever, somehow share with those around you about Jesus. As you go grocery shopping in the Walmart, share the love of God, share about Jesus. It doesn't let us off the hook of this idea that there's pastors and missionaries and those that do ministry. There's an idea that all of us who are a part of God's story are now doing ministry. All of us are missionaries. All of us are pastors sharing what Jesus has done for us. That is our story. And again, the specifics for you, whether it's like, man, I think God wants to use you to just crochet like verses onto pillows. I don't know if that's crochet. And then give those pillows to other people and like share his story in that way. I can't tell you those specifics, but I know 
It will involve the internal work of becoming more like Jesus and the external work of sharing Jesus with other people. And all of that centers again around the love of God, that he loved us enough to die for us. And so now we love others and share with them that story. It is all summed up in 1 John 4, 19 through 21, which says, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. If you love God, we must also love others. And there's no greater way to share the love of God than to tell people about Jesus and to tell people of how he loved them. So if we think back to that clip from Stranger Than Fiction, we've got Harold Crick played by Will Ferrell. He finds out he's in this great story, but it's not the story he would have picked for himself. As he's going through this, like he actually even meets the author of that story, and he realizes that she has written a different ending for him, something beyond what he would have imagined. And it's terrifying to him, and he doesn't think that he can do it, but he realizes that it is a much better story than the one he had planned out for himself. And I hope the same would be true of us. The deeper we get into God's story for us, I hope we realize that it is a much better story than we had for ourselves. And I hope we don't leave that story half read or, or half told. I hope that we go all through the process of salvation, of becoming more like Jesus and sharing Jesus with others. And so this morning, that's where I want our brains to be as we go to communion. Communion is a great place to reflect on God's story. We see in that juice and that wafer that we had there, we see the body of Jesus which was broken for us, the blood of Christ that was poured out to forgive us of our sins. So this morning, I want to invite you to those tables to reflect on God's story. But then maybe when you get back to your seat, maybe before you participate with communion, before you eat that stuff, Maybe you just want to ask, well, where is my place in this story? And just pray this simple prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. It's a bold prayer, but it is an easy prayer. The prayer that says, God, use me. And pray like, God, how? Show me how you want to use me. But God, I'm offering myself up to be used by you. How do you want to use me? And ask him to reveal that. And again, maybe it's some of the easy stuff. Like, I don't want to just focus on ways you could participate in discovery. Maybe it's that mission trip we talked about or being a small group leader or a leader for children's or youth. Maybe it's something like that, but it could very easily, and I hope it's more than just serving here for us. I hope it's somehow serving in your world, at your work, with your family, with the people walking in darkness around you. So as we go to communion, I hope you'll pray that prayer of God, use me. Maybe it needs to have some follow-ups of God, show me how you want to use me. God, show me where in my life I need to be used. But I challenge you to pray that prayer this morning as you digest God's story and your place in it. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we move to communion, I pray that you'd help us just to see your grand story and the great love you have for us that is demonstrated in that story. And as we eat the bread and we, we drink the juice this morning, God, let's be reminded of your love for us, that you wrote this story for us. But I pray, God, beyond that, we would have the boldness to ask how you want to use us. We'd have the boldness to offer ourselves up and pray that prayer of God, use me. And let us know, God, that otherwise we're living in an incomplete story, that we're not getting to the, the great ending 
the exciting parts that you have written for us. And so God, even though it's maybe not the story we would write for ourselves, let us understand that you have a huge and a better, a more exciting story written for us. All we have to do is allow you to use us. God, we ask these things in your name as we move to communion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.